Over 2021 and 2022, 20 sound artists were given the time and space to produce a new electronic track at the Melbourne Electronic Sound Studio. These two-week recovery residencies were developed to assist artists in getting back into their creative practice after the impacts of 2020. You're listening to the Liquid Architecture podcast. Today, we hear from six artists that participated in the recovery residencies delivered by MESS, Liquid Architecture and Multicultural Arts Victoria. Emily Bennett, Lou Lynn, Patrick Cartorno, Mel Dearson, Bonnie Cummings and Isla Scott reflect on the instruments they explored, the processes they took to produce their tracks and the working community atmosphere at MESS. Hi, my name is Emily Bennett. I'm a musician, a singer, sound artist, teacher. Hi, my name's Lou Lin, and my background is in radio production. My name is Patrick, and I come from Indonesia. I would call myself as an electroacoustic composer and audiovisual artist. I'm Mel Dearson. I'm an artist. I've been collaborating with Bonnie for probably like a year or more now. My name's Bonnie Cummings. I do lots of different types of music. With Mel, I guess, the music that we make is kind of in between pop music and stand-up. I'm Isla. I record and release music as Alcee. It was the first day out of their fifth lockdown, so I wasn't quite sure if it was going to happen, but lo and behold, it did. I walked into mess and then I just thought, I just want to make a banging dance track. <laughs> and so Joni, who was on at the time, just gave me a lindrum. And so I just sort of started from there. Some of the instruments I just didn't even know existed until you see them in person. And so... I suppose I had a wave of feelings each day, you know, just, I mean, coming out of lockdown and lots of stuff happening. So I sort of just went with maybe a little idea and then the suggestion of the staff there or a conversation with someone next to me who was just working and then said, oh, hey, you should try out this. So there are lots of conversations that enabled me to be guided. When I applied for the residency, I said, I've really little experience working with synths or making electronic music and I just hope that my background in music would help guide my intuition with rhythm or harmony. That's all I had to start with and someone asked me on my first day, they said, do you want to do this? And he starts like air flicking knobs or do you want to tap? And I thought that was such a great way to think about how to start engaging with the instruments. How do you want to interface with them? You forget that using physical instruments is also a bodily experience. I think I was too focused on how much technical language that I didn't have and that I would have to learn rather than being like, oh, I can tap buttons and rely on my own sense of rhythm and my own ears to understand what I like.
I specifically applied residency to work with the Buchla. I'm not sure whether this is an instability of error or is the character of the Buchla itself. There is a unique interference signal that I keep hearing. I'm not sure whether it's an error or no, but it's very unique. And Matt and Rob was really wonderful uh, helping me working with Buchla because I've worked like many years with uh, analog and all the system, but I never worked with Buchla. And Matt is actually the person who pointed me to, this is how you should use the Buchla. Yeah. But then I arrived into the creative and artistic project in using Buchla. Then it's become entirely a new uh, process and territory again. And then during this approach, every time I use technology instrument like Google, the first thing that I do is I always start to step back and conceiving that Google is not synthesizer. I try to, to, to free myself and seeing Google only as an object. And because of that, I might have this uh, openness. I build intimate relationship with some. Then when I have the sound from Buchla, then I also step back again in perceiving the Buchla sound. I see the Buchla sound again as, as a sort of organic material. I have my own system where I start working with the Buchla sound. There's a lot of uh, unpredictability, right? So I try to learn the Buchla sound. When working with my composition, I spend a lot of time to listen to the Buchla sound. I try to build the intimacy with the sound. And then once I'm able to build the intimacy with the sound, I push the sound toward the limit. A meaning by toward the limit, it's pushing the timbre toward the limit, pushing the sonic possibility toward the limit, pushing specialization toward the limit. And Something that's very amazing from the Buchla, it's actually the spectral entities because it's rich. And therefore, I try to explore this uh, spectral possibility from the Buchla sound. I wanted to use the most complicated things because I thought that I would be like a natural at it having never used them before and then was completely lost. And I was like, oh, you actually need to spend a lot of time with these things and learn them. So I, I got slightly dispirited <laughs> and then I just switched using a drum machine and I found that that was very direct and I enjoyed that a lot. So the drum machine I used was a Vermuna DRM Mark III, I believe, which is a German drum machine with no sequencer, just synthesizes the drum sounds. So I messed around with that at first and then I just ran it through a bunch of things. The Doctor Who synth, it's very old with a patching matrix. I used that in the signal chain, but not for its own sound, which feels kind of disrespectful in a way, but just, <laughs> just because everything that gets passed through it at every stage of the signal path gets overdriven, I was told, which makes everything sound very crunchy and lovely and it also has a really wonky like beautiful spring reverb before that in the chain I was using an auto 
BIM and an auto boom. One of them's a delay and then the other one's a compressor and distortion unit. And they were both really mysterious, but they sounded great. And I just stuck with that. And I saw other people exploring things, like as many things as they could. And I would have done that, but then I found something that worked for me. And then I saw no reason to change it. And then I just recorded several hours of audio. I got really lost in that setup. Yeah, it was a really lovely, intuitive setup that I found. I was lucky I found it so quickly. In terms of what we gravitated towards, drum machines at first were a big feature, but mostly it was just sort of picking up things that looked tactilely interesting and then just seeing what came out of them. We used the Fairlight a lot, actually, though. I think that one was really good because... It's one of the few things that had a keyboard big enough for both of us to actually use it at the same time, which is probably a factor. But also just being able to pitch bend familiar sounds is a very obvious way of making something funny. And so that's where we went with it. I didn't know anything about anything. So I was just like going in, like, hit me. So that was kind of the vibe of the entire, like, what, 40 hours that we were there. I talked really extensively to Robin about my childhood in music and the bad taste that it had left in my mouth. So he was like, okay, so maybe you don't want to work with keyboards. And he put me on drum machines for the first couple of days, which I loved because I was super drawn to percussion. The first day using a Roland drum machine and the next day using an Arturia Brute. And I made just simple rhythmic drum tracks and then on the third day, either Lauren or Nina, also from Mess, introduced me to the Pro 2, which I just fell in love with. And that one's actually a keyboard synth. And it was so good. And I just stuck with that one throughout. What really helped is having an understanding and sense of harmony. So I was able to intuit chords and things like that. Yeah, I just loved it. The Lindrum. You know, you can hear Prince <laughs> and other 80s tracks on it. And then I worked on the Eurorack. I mean, that's an instrument that I didn't really have an idea. I sort of was more guided by what was coming back for me. And definitely in the first week, I didn't have any vision of what I wanted, but I just tried to record as much as I could. And then sort of at the halfway mark, just sort of, you know, listened and was like, okay, what have I got? But then... I just had a play on the Korg mini log. It's like this little synth. I found that really inspiring because it's just, it was so accessible and had all these presets that generated like a lot of melodic material. And then that allowed me to kind of go back to other instruments that maybe weren't as immediate. So I was able to, you know, go and overdub the mini Moog and other sort of instruments to kind of add to those initial sound grabs. I was kind of surprised because I thought, oh God, you know, here there's like decades of of instruments and here I've picked like this little, you know, 2015 mainstream instrument. But I think I just didn't really care because you know, I was sort of pretty um, focused on making a track. So I just thought, okay, well, whatever's going to kind of get something out, that's good.
we just kind of grab it and improvise for however long it took for us to either like make each other laugh like a lot <laughs> or until we got completely exhausted. We'd kind of do that with one instrument, take a break, grab another instrument, do that again. And then we did that for a bunch of the time. And then the last four sessions, I think, to give us some kind of like constraints, we decided that we'd just make a whole song in the four-hour time. We'd be like, okay, what do we need? Start with a beat. Okay, beat done. You know, get the next thing, make melodies, all through kind of improvisation. And then we'd just like smash them on top of each other and try and see what worked. So we had a song at the end of each session, basically. We did build a sort of language. We could tell if it was doing the thing we wanted it to do or not, even though each thing was quite different. And even by the end of it, we sort of thought we'd just made something without really thinking about it too hard, which is what we did. But when we thought about what we'd pitched for the residency, we realised we'd kind of almost exactly (laughs) done what we said we were going to do, which was that, like, Bonnie was going to teach me some stuff. We were going to just be kind of responsive, that I was going to bring this interest that I had in, like, voice and kind of medieval choirs and things. And we thought we'd ditched it entirely. And then when we looked at it, we were like, oh, (laughs) we kind of did that. My goal was to collect as many different kinds of samples as I liked. And so in the process of editing, I've just been layering the samples and playing with tempo and thinking about what layers that I want to put at the bottom. I kind of peripherally was thinking about how it would complement this project I'm doing about oral history I definitely think having this background in radio and more language-based sound stuff informed how I thought about arcs and informed, I guess, the unfolding or the shape of the music-making process. I mean, even when you're playing music, like when I'm playing the piano or when you're listening to a song, there can be some kind of narrative imbued into it, like the way you start, the arcs it takes, the way the tension that's built into it, the tension that builds up, the release that comes from it when you get to a certain section and the way that it decrescendos, you know, not literally volume but like the feeling, the tone, the melody. I did one nine-minute sample I guess from listening back to it, it was almost like an improv track. I noticed even the way that I started was way more just fiddling and gentle with it. And then as I got more into it and more familiar with the chords and it was suddenly like a bit more like intense and energy. After the book, I need to do a lot of analysis process. And then this analysis process, please do not see as a sort of scientific process, no. It's more practical analysis. As I mentioned, I listen to this book last sound in order to beat the relationship. So the important thing here is me should knowing what am I working with. Because if I don't know what material or sound that I used to work, then I don't know what will be the end outcome. And if I don't know the material that I use, I don't know how to push the sound toward me. It really made me think, what do I do and what do I have to offer? Especially when I was on the Euro rack, I used just samples that I'd recorded. Like I, I don't, I haven't done it a lot lately, but I used to just record so much on my phone. Like I might've been on the bus or I might've been 
in situations that make me like a little, I don't know, maybe a rowdy person on the tram or, you know, a really strange conversation between two op shop ladies. <laughs> so I just record it. I don't do it as much because I feel it's the ethics is something that I'm not sure of. But yeah, maybe now it's just birds. But yeah, anyway, on the Euro rack, just sort of fed through some things. And I suppose I was really like I'm, I'm a singing teacher and a singer and I run choirs. So I, was, I just sort of fed some um, rehearsal tracks because I've got so many different recordings. I try and bring together what I'm yearning or feeling at the time and then try and, you know, maybe mix like, you know, like a recipe. So like, you know, maybe mix some choir with some magpies with some public transport. track I submitted it had those like real sort of drum machine percussive elements but also like sound collage stuff in the background and um I did lots of sessions just with the drum machine and the effects but I also did a session where I did like a hour-long improvised live sound collage using the delay on a long repeat setting and just scrolling through voice memos on my phone and just creating like layers of stuff and textures from those memos and ended up merging that with the final piece. I didn't really see the point of using a sampler to do that because it was all on my phone already. My phone's a sampler. All the audio for the final piece was just from a single live recording of a jam. I did most of the edits probably like a week after I did the recording itself and then just didn't work on it for another six months or whatever it's been, and then sort of finished everything off relatively recently. The reason why I have this tremendous changes of dynamic and things, it's because I'm trying to push the sound toward its limit, you know, even toward something that I'm no longer able to hear. And that's actually the, the, the reason. Just move along. I wanted to just make a really uplifting song and I don't think I could be mainstream if I tried but it's sort of a track that I really miss kind of moving and dancing and so this track is an attempt to be a dance track producer (laughs) Um, but I suppose there's still weird elements and so there's that sample from the Korg mini log there was some bass lines that I sort of played around with the mini moog and then there was also the Electron Digicat, because I've got an Octatrack. So I was just curious, you know, how that worked. And then actually on recommendation, I also had to play around with the Dave Smith Tempest. And so that's kind of like another drum machine. Um, and then I had a little play on the EMS Vocoder. That was pretty hairy. And then I also had a little go on the Fairlight. I mean, some of these instruments, like, it's hard to go deep in one session. You know, they're sort of, I suppose, like, maybe I've had a little taste of everything that I'd probably want to go back 
later and, you know, have a go. Yeah, they all have personality. So I suppose I just went with what I was feeling on the day and also trying to just get as much of the sound from the instruments. I mean, I've um, recorded it all in Ableton, but I'll try and keep them pretty intact without doing too much post-production. Over Zoom, we'd, we'd record both ends of our Zoom sessions at the same time and so you'd have the kind of conversation as well as the sound or we had a thing where we would send each other music that we'd made and then record the response of us listening to it, so whatever, like, laughter or comments or whatever we made as a response we'd then send back. So we kind of had that built in from the start. That's like how do you build in, like, a conversation or that relationship into the feeling of what we made. I feel like there's a sort of like a thing with us where we're both aware of how full shit each of us are on our own. And so like I think representing that to the other person is kind of something that makes us laugh as well. So I think that happened in Zoom a lot and then maybe the sort of like wanting to hear that in the mess stuff sort of came from that. Making a thing together in space was like not something we'd ever done before. And so that was actually amazing and that thing of kind of giving ourselves ridiculous parameters and pushing ourselves into that like delirious space to manifest something together, it felt like it worked really beautifully and we'd made this little like creature of a practice that we had to like serve. And also I guess like in some ways there was something in us that felt a bit rebellious towards the library-ish kind of feel of mess and it's sort of like how do you build in the kind of like school kids giggling at the back of the class feeling which we often felt in there You know, you can make things at home, but it's like the community and the people around you, you know, is what really bolsters the work we do and sitting there with their headphones, but still in company. That was really nice. The reason why I go to Australia, because I spent almost 16 years only with this uh, European classical electroacoustic music. I would like to see something different. Australia is diverse. And then the electronic music is not only influenced by certain genre or history, but it mixes. And then when I am in mass, the diversity, it's really touched me. 
This is the facility. There is uh, people there who assist you. You only need to come, bring your idea, and then we help you to achieve. And it doesn't matter whether this is new or what genre, it's, 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 it's up to you. And this, this, this openness that I am really touched, actually. Any experience you can get with this stuff is a real gift. The effects boxes I were using are no longer in production. The sequencer I was using, I don't know when those stopped being made. It may even have been a one-off. It does put things in perspective, like the flow I was able to feel working at Mass as compared to like sitting in front of like the Ableton interface was really inspiring. And I think it sort of solidified for me my desire to work mostly with percussion rather than like melody, like song progression, just the texture of percussion. It's just a beautiful world to be in. Yeah, it's, it was nice to sort of orient me in that way and remind me what it is about electronic music that I enjoy. Being able to say, like, I produced my first electronic music track and I collected heaps of samples, some of which I am going to use in my PhD, but I'm hoping more than anything to to now have an electronic music practice, you know, and not necessarily be a musician who plays shows or anything, but to enhance my sound and writing practice. The value of sort of doing regular practice. I think that was something I sort of tried to keep going just because, you know, you've got to go in every day. So that regularity, you know, even though you might be feeling a different way, I think I really valued what I was doing when I went in. I was like, oh, I'm not totally a beginner. You know, sometimes when you're sort of working on your own instrument, you feel stale or you feel you've sort of hit a wall. I felt like I was coming in with some skills in a particular area and then, you know, seeing other instruments and being around other people. And, you know, seeing how they work. It was definitely very cathartic, just sitting there at the bench, just like blasting just these incredibly abrasive, angular rhythms into my headphones just for hours on end. Really physical experience as well, sort of feeling my way into the groove of it. And it was very special and meditative in that way in a way that's rare when you're making I think part of it was that I was in a space with other people and the way that that just charges a space means that that kind of state maybe is easier to get into but yeah I felt a real physical connection to what I was doing which is important and is hard to find when I'm at home even if the sound ends up being similar the work feels more bureaucratic when you're using Ableton more like data entry and then when you're in front of like a beautiful instrument, like a drum machine, and you have intuitive control over all these aspects of your signal chain. It feels like you're contending with something that is just as alive as you are. And that's very special to enter into that. 
conversation and come away from it with like new textures and nice memories. As simple as that. So sometimes we just forgot that we just want to make music. And that to make music is actually your expression and you should listen first to your sound. Otherwise you don't know. Recovery features 21 tracks produced from the Recovery residencies and is available to stream on SoundCloud. Find the link in the show notes. These residencies took place on the land of the Boonwurrung and Woiwurrung people of the Eastern Kulin Nation. This podcast was produced by Mara Schretweger for Liquid Architecture on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land and recognize that sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Liquid Architecture is an Australian organisation for artists working with sound and listening. You can support our podcast and online journal disclaimer through a Patreon subscription for as little as $5 a month. Find the link in our show notes. (laughs) 